My name is Debbie, and my guest here is my friend. Anne. Thanks for coming. Hi, so Anne and I are uh, teammates on a dragon boat, and that's how we met. Yes. So here we are. I want to do these podcasts on breast cancer mm-hmm. survivors, and I'm hitting my team up. You're one of the one of the ones that just said, "Yeah, let's do this." Yeah, so that's true. Pretty excited. So I thanks for excited. doing this. No, thank you. I think there's a lot of people who don't want to talk about their cancer experience, I and I respect that. But anyone who does, I think, has a real story to tell. And our team has some really interesting stories to tell. Yeah, I think. yeah, yeah. So, yeah. and but instead of the team, let's talk about you. Let's talk about me which I'm not very good at okay let's uh let's see what we can do let's break down those barriers let's do it now Anne is my friend and we met on our dragon boat how many years have you been on the team I joined the team um in 2017 and that was just three months after I finished my treatment well while we're on dragon boating uh, let's do sort of that conversation right now how did you hear about the dragon flyers I heard about the dragon flyers actually through one of the the many brochures that you see in your circles that you go to when you have cancer. Hope Spring, the hospital, I forget, I was doing the WellFit gym thing as right. well. There's a brochure there. So it's really just through. Through that? Yeah. It's a yeah. team that a lot of great women, just to what we tell women, the cost for entry is too high because yeah. you have to be a breast cancer survivor. So, you know, when people say they want to be on our team, mm-hmm. we, we, we gently, yeah. <laughs> We gently say, yeah, no, thanks, but uh, there's a community team for you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But if they do pay that price, it is a marvelous place to be. It is. So why don't you tell me what you got out of being part of the team and and the experience of this sport and what it's done for you? Well, I've always been involved in some sport or other throughout my life, usually independent sports, not team sports. And I've always loved the water and boating and swimming. So I thought this would be a good thing. I was very much afraid of the strenuousness of it if I'd be able to tolerate it, especially after coming fresh off treatment. But I realized it's it's accessible pretty much by anyone. We've got some amazing ladies on this team we do. who struggle to get up out of a chair but they're in the boat paddling hard with the rest of us yeah they are and our youngest one well when i joined i think m was about 26 at the time okay and our oldest is now close to 80. Yeah. Yeah, so we have a really wide range. I'm sad that Emily's on it because of her age. I yes. mean, it's 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 heartbreaking to see such young women going through this. And something else that I'm that I'm involved with now as part of the again exposure to the cancer world is providing online support as a mentor through the Cancer Society Cancer Connection website. And that too is a place where almost daily these young people are saying not just breast cancer, but lung cancer, prostate cancer, bladder cancer, young. One of the things I discovered, Wendy and I were talking about this today, it doesn't matter how healthy you are, mm-hmm. how much exercise you nope. have done, how nope. old you are. Because nope. I was under false impression mm-hmm. that if I was, if I ate healthier, if I exercised mm-hmm. more, if I, if I, if I, yep then I wouldn't have been hit with this. And sitting in that chemo suite for those many months that I did, it didn't matter because there was athletes who were healthy beyond belief, you know, right to... Well, they they say that, I mean, the biggest risk factors associated with getting cancer is getting older 
And then for women with breast cancer, it's being a woman. So, but even with, yeah, even with that, I was reading something the other day where they said, you know, they talk about risk factors associated with breast cancer. We'll just talk about breast cancer, smoking, alcohol, how old you were when you started your period, what age did you have your first child? Like all these things that they, they weigh in. And then family history, of course, that's a big one too. And then they say, okay, now take all the women who have breast cancer, who were diagnosed with breast cancer, 75% of them don't have any of those risks. Oh my God. Yeah. Really? Really. So when someone said to me, or when so you have that idea of like, why me? Why did I get breast cancer? My head goes to why not me? Well, one in eight okay. Canadians for breast cancer, one in two for cancer in your lifetime. Mm-hmm. But even that's assuming, and again, you, you play with those numbers. That's assuming that we all live to, and then they have this age in mind, like okay. 85. Okay. Some of us don't live that long. Right. Other causes. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go back to Dragon Boat. Yeah. What have you gained from this from being part of the team what have i gained the i gained from the team there's something marvelous about meeting new people and that sounds like really light and lame and whatever but i think after you've been through a traumatic experience and you connect with like-minded people who have a shared experience such a huge amount of healing that goes on that and people talk about it in various environments like war veterans or moms with their new babies or whatever and it's it's not just coming together and saying hey we all have breast cancer this makes us bffs it's you have a, a new level of understanding and an elevated level of compassion I think that comes out and acceptance and there i found too with the team when something was going on with one of us yes we were like there, like even just as a team, we were like right. on the Tuesdays and Thursday practices. There yeah. was just a lot of support and chat. And I think as, and just to build on that, as humans, we don't have enough compassion for each other. And the cliche that it is, it go through something tough or traumatic or war or something. And those are the individuals who come out hopefully, many, with a lot more compassion for the world. And so when people say to me, oh, man, you had cancer. That's just the most terrible thing. And I counter that and say, not so much. I feel a lot more connected. And I tell people now, you know, the C word for me now is not cancer. It's connection and compassion. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, that's how I feel about the seabird now. Wow. Tell me about your diagnosis and how you found out about it because that's a good segue into that. Yeah, for sure. So I was one of those wonderful, diligent people who had regular mammograms. We went to our breast screening program. So I'd had one all clear. My second one, all clear. Or so I thought. And it was six months after the second mammogram that I discovered a lump. I felt the lump in the shower. And I thought, how could this be? I just had a clear mammogram. Must be a mistake. But to be safe, I was a good person. I went to my GP and checked it out. A lot of women I know don't after their mammogram, so I'm going to talk about that as well. Sure. But yeah, I went to the GP. She felt the lump, stat mammogram, ultrasound. This time the mammogram saw something. And um, so in the span of six months, I even got my images from the radiologist. In the span of six months, I literally, you, you couldn't see anything. I'm not a radiologist, right. but... And so I found out that the ticket here was that I had dense breasts and the mammogram did not see the lesion that was there. My surgeon said it had probably been there for a while. And so do they talk about dense breasts and how did you find out about dense breasts? Yeah, good, good question. 
I, um, it was actually my surgeon who said, you have dense breasts. And like most women, I'm thinking, yeah, whatever. It's kind of like, you know, you have brown hair. What does it have to do with anything? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then I started to piece things together and I actually saw an article somewhere shortly after my surgery that said if you have dense breasts this could be what happens to you as far as breast cancer goes and so that's where I learned that not only having dense breasts is a risk factor on its own for increasing your risk of breast cancer they talk about family history if you have a breast density that is 75% or over in density your risk of getting cancer is four to six times higher than your average person. And how do you identify that you have really dense breasts or not? Only way to know if you have dense breasts is through a mammogram. So however your your breast feels, if it's lumpy, if it's not lumpy, if it's if you're overweight, if you're thin, you can't feel if you have dense breasts or not. Only a mammogram can tell you. Yeah, so that's why a lot of people say, well, if you have a mammogram, and that's, this is the other side of dense breasts, so you have a higher risk of getting cancer, and then the mammogram can't necessarily see the cancer. Oh, so, so it's it a double whammy. So it doesn't detect it in yeah. time. And so that's why they say, I think in the, in the, if you have the highest breast density, which is over 75% density, the chance of the mammogram missing your cancer, if the cancer is there, is 50%. Oh, so it's almost useless. That's what one would think. So a lot of people would say, you know, Forget the mammograms, then. I'm not going for mammogram. No, still go for your mammogram because mammograms can, first of all, identify, identify. your density. Second thing, mammograms are good at seeing calcifications, which could be a precursor for cancer. Okay. So keep doing your mammograms, but be aware that if, and this is the other thing, as women in Ontario, we're not necessarily notified of our breast density. So all we get is that letter that says, you're all good. Call it the happy gram letter. Okay. Come back in two years or whatever. Okay, yeah. But that just says that could be a false negative, as it was in my case. Right. And you were led to it's it's a false sense of security yeah. for this false negative. So, so at the very least, other every woman should say, Great, I've got my happy gram letter, but now I'm gonna to talk to my doctor who also gets the radiologist report to say, What does it say on the report about my density? Starting in January of this year of twenty nineteen. It was mandated in Ontario that all radiologists have to report what category of density you're in, A, B, C, or D. Okay, C that's is, good news then. Yeah, it is, and not too many people know it. They're not advertising it, but I'm going to put it out there now. Yeah, so women can go to their doctors and say, give me my radiologist report and tell me what my category of density is. And then they can say, oh, you're in category C or D, which are the highest categories. So a mammogram may not be able to detect the cancer if it's there. So what are we going to do? Right. So are you doing regular self-exams? Check. Should we also consider maybe an ultrasound or an MRI for you in addition to a mammogram? And with what frequency? Um, when you come and see me for your regular whatever other things you come and see me for, maybe I'll do a clinical exam as well on your breasts. And the awareness that's out there now isn't like isn't out there. Like you mentioned, a lot of people say, well, someone told me I had dense breasts, but no one's saying what that means. What are dense breasts? But every breast is made up of fatty tissue and fibroglandular tissue. So dense breasts are considered to be 50% or more fibroglandular tissue because it's in the fibroglandular areas that tumors form, forming the fat, right? Okay. 
And so if you are, I've heard this, I'm not too sure about it, but someone says if you're slender, you have a higher chance of having dense breasts. Okay. But I'm not sure that's proven or not. But either way, that is dense that's breasts. Dense. Now they say the good news is as we age, our density diminishes, but over 40% of Canadian women in breast screening age, so that's 40 and over, have dense breasts. Numbers-wise, that's over 2 million women in Canada have dense breasts. Wow. How many of those 2 million are A, aware they have dense breasts, and B, aware of that this could be not only for a, bre- um, a risk for breast cancer, but it may not even be detected on your mammogram. Wow. So it's huge. The team. So yeah. one of the things that I find, too, is we can say things that nobody would be offended. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you know what? I'm just thinking of something. Uh, we had a new team member join this year, and she she was one of our newly diagnosed ones. And I think she came into the team initially like kind of a, oh, we are a boatload of pathetic women because you know, we've all been <laughs> afflicted by this thing called breast cancer. Until you realize that we joke about it and we say things we wouldn't necessarily say to others. But uh, she had brought something to one of our team outings at one point, and it was something that I forget, I forget what it was, but it was something to help the team in our next regatta or something. And I, I said, thank you for bringing that. We really needed that. What would we do without you? I'm so glad you got breast cancer. Because <laughs> <laughs> we wouldn't have met her otherwise, yeah, right? We wouldn't have this much needed thing, whatever right. it was. Yeah. yeah. And we can take it with a grain of salt. Now, if somebody who hadn't had breast cancer heard that, yes. it would sound horrific. It would be. Yeah. And, and listeners, if you haven't had breast cancer, don't be horrified about this because that's the way we talk to each other. And our coach treats us more like athletes. Talking about what I appreciate in the team, I think that's what I really appreciate. There is no, none of this woes me or I can't come to practice tonight because my lymphedema is bothering me. No, we, the fortitude of, of coming to the practice, no matter how one is feeling, has really been um, a strength giver and a reinforcer for me in the importance of, no, you got to push yourself, play the woes me. It's know, really I quite think, encouraging. I think it's, it's a safe place to be. It's a soft place to land is how I, you know, emotionally. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. I was reading, reminding myself the other day of the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And you remember like the, the core, the anchor is that, you know, you've got food and shelter and safety. And if those aren't in place, then you can't have the other things that come from that is the feeling of, of love and the ability to give love and receive love. And then the next level is learning and education and developing to the final level to self-actualization. And I think our boat is a perfect example of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah. It's a great bunch of women. Yeah. So if you, anybody out there, if you uh, want to take up the sport, mm-hmm. go find a dragon boat team in your city. Yeah. So tell me about how you found out. And the diagnosis. Yes. And, yeah, uh, I think I started talking about you that. You did, a little just, bit. Let's just recap a yeah. little bit. Yeah. So, yeah, I had a uh, couple clear mammograms. Um, the second clear mammogram wasn't clear. Um, I felt the lump while I was in the shower. Sent for the stat mammogram, ultrasound. You know, it's kind of funny. I had booked a week a week vacation away up at a cottage. So I had rented by myself. I was going to be on my own. There was a kayak there. It was going to be a week away. And I wasn't going to alter this week away. So I went for this all this testing. 
And I told my GP, I said, I don't want to know anything until I come back. And I went away and I had the most wonderful week on my own. And I was paddling every day, like five kilometers. And I was doing this, that, and the other thing. And it was like I was telling myself, I couldn't possibly have cancer because I feel so good. And I think that's the thing. Many women, it's just like, there are no symptoms. You don't feel sick. So when I came back from vacation, eight o'clock in the morning, my GP calls me and went, oh, this is not a good sign. Oh, no. <laughs> she said, it's worrisome. Those were her words. Okay. Want you to go for another mammogram and an ultrasound. So that was a week later. And on the spot there, the, the fellow at that Freeport, he looked at me and he said, there is no doubt this is cancer. I'm going to do a biopsy just because I think I have to, right. <laughs> you know, to check that box yep, that a biopsy yep. was done and some crazy miracle it's not cancer. Then it was in my head. And I think it was a good thing while I was away for that week, it started to, I started to think, what if, what if it is? So I kind of came into that appointment prepared. So I was not bowled over. I think I was lucky that I had to kind of mentally prepare for this. Well, I know when I was told, Debbie, you have cancer, and everything was a Charlie Brown moment, like, wah, oh, okay. wah, 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 I heard nothing after. Yeah, I remember breaking down and crying. Yeah, I did that too. And shaking. But then after a few minutes, I said, okay, what do we do? And he started talking about surgery, this, that, and the other thing. And it's a lot of information, but my mind was, what are we going to do to deal right. with this? So, and then quickly fast forward. So he said, well, we'll probably remove the lump. So we'll have a lumpectomy. You'll probably need radiation after. And I went, okay, I can probably deal with that. If that takes care of things, I'm good. But the pathology report comes back. It's, it's usually pathology reports are the, are the truth. Yep. It's, it's like now we really know what's going on. And it came back much worse than what the surgeon had thought. Yeah, it was in the lymph nodes. It was aggressive. It was stage three. And I think that's where I had a few Charlie Brown moments. It was just like, what? So I felt ripped off, one, that my mammogram lied to me. I felt my mammogram, it didn't detect this thing. Right. And now, doctor, you lied to me because it would be just be a lumpectomy and radiation. And now you're saying, well, chemotherapy as well. And then stage three and triple negative, and it's just like a whole bunch of bad news. So explain triple negative. Right. So most breast cancers, about 80% of breast cancers fall into what they call hormone receptor positive. So that's the estrogen and or progesterone receptor positive, and then some cancers throw in the HER2 positive as well. So it's a mixed bag of one or two or all three of those things. If you have all three, you're called triple positive. So triple negative is none of those things. You're thinking, my, in my ignorance, I thought triple negative is a really good type of cancer to have <laughs> because, you know, it's not feeding off estrogen, progesterone, or this HER2 protein. That's good. When I realized it's the opposite. And I related to like triple negative breast cancer. It's like that friend you had in university that seemed to never need sleep, would just live on caffeine, be able to go all day and all night, and still write their exams and get 100%. So it's fast, aggressive. We don't know what's fueling him or her, but it's bad news. How do they treat that? Is there a specific treatment for yeah. triple negative? Well, the good news is they have found, they're still learning a lot about it. They don't okay. haven't done the research on it as much as the other types of breast cancer. It, they have discovered it responds remarkably well to chemo. Thank you, chemo. That's all I can say. If yeah. it wasn't for chemo, I wouldn't be here today. 
Uh, and, then, and then they've also learned like these subtypes of triple negative and then these different aspects of triple negative. I'm a little bit of a research freak, so I, I learn about all this stuff. So while I was in my chemo, actually, I went to my medical oncologist, one of my appointments, and I said, I'm feeling um, another lump under my underarm. So they thought, well, maybe that's just the lump from the surgery where you had the lymph nodes removed. She felt it. She said, mm, that feels weird. So off we go for another ultrasound. More bad news. The chemo, or sorry, the, it's showing positive for more cancer in more lymph nodes. And again, I thought, how can this be? I've had the surgery. I'm currently on chemo. Can you give me any more bad news, please? Like, really? This is ridiculous. So they said, when you finish your chemo, we're going to go back in, rip out some more lymph nodes. Mm -hmm. I said, fine, do whatever you need to do. And that's like, bring out the big guns, you know? Right. <laughs> let's go for it, baby. Let's go for it. You need to take the whole arm. Let's do it. So, and it, and it is at that point. And I said, while we're there, at this point, I learned about dense breasts. I said, I have dense breasts. What are the chances of the cancer coming back or showing up in the other breast or somewhere else? And again, not being detected until it's stage three or stage four. I said, I don't want to roll those dice. While you're taking those lymph nodes, take both breaths. I felt I needed to do that in order to sleep again at night. And it's a real personal decision. It's a very personal. And so again, the, the well, then you can have reconstruction. I said, no, I'm kind of done with this. I need to move on with my life. <laughs> I've got kids. Don't need them anymore. Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I was never very large breasted anyway. So a lot of people don't even notice. <laughs> the good news bad news right <laughs> so you had a double mastectomy and then the finally so this was like what six months after my diagnosis i finally got the first piece of good news pathology report came back and said you are 100 clear of cancer oh great thank you how many lymph nodes did they have to take out the second all, time all, around well all told it was 25 how many lymph nodes do we have do you know Yes, I just learned this last night at my yoga class. Okay. We have approximately 800 lymph nodes okay. in our bodies. Yeah. About 300 of them are in our neck. And, um, and you had them removed under your arm. Under the arm. I don't know what the total is under the arm, yeah. but they're under the arm, and then they're centered in, in your groin area too. Okay. And in your through your abdomen. Okay. So, But the bulk of them is in your neck. So anyway, yay, good news. So then the, the cherry on top is my... Surgeon called it with the radiation. So 25 rounds of daily radiation. And I didn't burn too, too badly. No. You know, when you have like all three things, like surgery, chemo, radiation, they call it that, the party pack, right? Okay. I didn't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so some... <laughs> I don't know. It's this is the type of thing we laugh about. Yeah, right? we do. Yeah. And so if you ask your women who've had the party pack or even just, I guess, some of those items, which was worse or which was like your least favorite treatment. And I don't know what I would say. Surgery, I would do it again. Piece of cake for yeah. me anyway. Chemo, I would actually do it again. Okay. Radiation, don't do that again. And I don't know if I'm saying that because it was, I'd already had two surgeries and chemo. By the time I hit radiation, I had had it. Um, and some people say radiation is a walk in the park. I don't know. I How about a, you? For you, I, I had uh, so I had a lumpectomy. I had chemo. I had two different cocktails, okay. as they call yes. them. And I can't remember what it is, but the, my first cocktail was was uh, called AC. Dry something. Yes. And the and the red devil. 
and the Red Devil. So I had four of those. Yes. And then I had the second was Taxol and Herceptin because I was yeah. estrogen positive, HER2 positive. And what I didn't know is on the HER2, the, the treatment Herceptin, it's really only about 15 or 20 years old, the mm -hmm. treatment. And HER2, it's aggressive. It's aggressive. So yeah. I consider myself very blessed that it happened when it happened with yeah. this with this treatment around. Tamoxifen and I didn't get along. They had to reduce the amount of intake and I had to go weekly. So instead of four treatments, I had 10 and I, I was full of antihistamines and and I'm too port? tired. Yeah, yeah, thank God for a port. That's what I say, thank God for a port. I don't think I could have, no. uh, with a pick line, I don't think I would have. It ruined your veins. Yeah. yeah, but I just don't want to hang around for, no. for, for a year with a pick line. The Herceptin was 10 treatments of that, and I was glad that that was over. Yeah. And I was lucky that I had none of the side effects. I had no, no neuropathy, and I consider myself very, very lucky yeah. because it could really... Yeah, to hear some hard yeah, stories. And I think that's why a lot of people say they're diagnosed with cancer or they know someone's diagnosed with cancer. They say the worst thing you can do, and you definitely don't want to do it, is any kind of chemo or drugs or whatever because they only hear the horror stories. Yeah. And I did have radiation, so I had 16 radiation treatments. Okay. And How did you fare? I fared really well. So yeah. it was the party pack. I would have to say probably the radiation yeah. because, well, of the three, it was the least intrusive. So tell me about lymphedema. Yeah. I was told that I had a high risk for lymphedema because they ripped out so many lymph nodes. Okay. And they did radiation to the area. The only thing going in my favor is that um, I'm not a large person. So I think if you're large, your risk for lymphedema increases. I got lymphedema, it's not bad. I okay. keep it under control right now with massage, wearing compression sleeve, um, doing specific lymphatic exercises. And so I spend every day, morning and night, about half an hour doing something to help with my lymphedema, some exercises and massage and such. So it's manageable. Not cool to have, but it's manageable. And do you find when you're paddling that it helps to alleviate it? Well, the good news is, and I'm sure you've heard this, mm -hmm. that this doctor out in British Columbia yeah. was the one who founded this idea of dragon boating would be good for people who have gone through breast cancer treatment yes. to alleviate or perhaps even prevent lymphedema. So I do find actually for me personally, any type of exercise helps. Okay. So if I'm feeling it's particularly, and for me, there's a, there's a significant amount of pain. For some women, there's no pain. But I feel the pain. I feel the heaviness. I will get up and just go for a half-hour walk, or I will do some yoga, or I will do some paddling on the boat, or I will go to the gym. Activity just to get the lymph fluid going. The good news is I have heard about, and I will be seeing my other surgeon, another surgeon next week, who does lymphatics for microsurgery. Now, this is a new, relatively new surgery. There's this top-of-the-line guy, doctor in Toronto, who I'm seeing. And it's really cool because it's a surgery that he will go in there, if I'm eligible for the surgery, he will go in there and repair the damage to my lymph system. How cool is so, that? So, yeah, the perfect hope is that he cures my lymphedema. Is that what they say he can do or that this procedure can do? That's, I, I, I want to get the fine, because you know doctors yeah. never commit to anything, yeah. right? But 
really good results, really good findings. The surgery is known to have Positive. good results. So that's what I'm hoping for, because it would be lovely if to not have to because worry right about that. now. The thing with any type of side effect of the cancer treatment, as I'm sure, is how it's not just, okay, I've gone through treatment and I'm done, but now it's impacting, lymphedema is impacting insects that I have to think of. I can't go outside on hot days anymore. It will trigger the lymphedema. So when people say, hey, come on over to my house for a barbecue, I actually have to look at the weather and humidity level and say yes or no, I can't come. Stay inside in air conditioning, but that's no fun. So, so it's, it's those it's, lifestyle impacts. Yeah. And so to be able to uh, be a leave, have that weight removed, yeah. say, yes, I will come to your barbecue next weekend. It's amazing how... It changes your whole life. that yeah. would be. Yeah. And does cold impact it at all? I think it does for some women. For me, it doesn't seem to. It's just the heat that... It just seems to be the heat. Wow. And we know some women on our team who have lymphedema, and some cases are worse than others. And they're still coming out and paddling. And I think that's what they talk about with breast cancer or any cancer. It's the whole recovery process. Yes. And we, we talk about this at length is you're clear of cancer, so you're good to go, right? But no, it's, it's actually with you for life. When I was done all my treatments, if I felt any bump or lump yeah. or anything, mm -hmm. it was like, oh, my God, you yeah, know, it's yeah, back. Yeah. But it, it's there, and it's taken a few years for mm -hmm. the worry to subside. Yeah, let me ask you about this, because when you say a few years, I heard someone say that it's starting at about two years after your diagnosis, and it, you know, you've gone through treatment, about two years later that you start to feel less panicky every day. Yes. It's still there. But it may not be every day, or yes. it may not be every hour of every day, or it may just be once a week you think, oh, right, I've had cancer. Did you find that? Was it about the two-year mark? Or? It, see, so it's it's just about two years now for me. I think, and it is an imposition. I remember my oncologist saying, just get used to the hospital because you're going to be living here. And I thought, oh, she's crazy. But no, mm -hmm. when you're going every week, there's blood tests that you got to do before mm -hmm. your appointment. And I kind of wanted just to be done with it. Mm -hmm. Having said that, you can't be done with it because it's always there in the back of your yeah. mind. It's lightened up a lot in the yeah. last few months, but I was worried about everything. Mm -hmm. Recovery was hard because the fatigue you feel mm -hmm. is unlike anything I've ever experienced. Yeah. And when I used to be able to go up and down stairs and walking mm -hmm. out the door was hard. You know, you realize that you're, mm -hmm. you have a long way to go. Yeah. And patience was never really one of my strong points. And I have to say that if anything is coming of this, patience is, okay. is part yeah, of that. That's a good question because most everyone gets something out of cancer. Yes. And it's usually a positive thing that people say, if I had not had cancer, I would not have received this gift or right. discovered this patient. To live in denial about it, it's cut out, it's burned out, it's been zapped out with chemo, does not give me 100% security that it's never coming back. So there's acceptance in, in that right. and try to live my life well. Try to do things that I wouldn't normally do. And now I'm finding things to talk about, yeah. Can't, this, this topic being one of them. Um, no, acceptance is hard. A lot of writing, a lot of talking, a lot of crying. Yeah. And just making sure I'm doing 
as much as I possibly can to make sure I'm not contributing to it anymore. And I want to live at the same time. I know. You know, I don't want to restrict yeah, myself. That's true. You, you said something that made me think of this idea of, you know, the fear of the cancer coming back. Or, it, I mean, it's very much close to us because, I mean, our, our mortality or our encounter with our mortality is no longer theoretical. Right. Once you've had cancer. And so, so I'm thinking, okay, well, I am lucky enough that I am now aware how careful I need to be especially my kids with triple negative like it doesn't have the best prognosis okay. the chance of recurrence coming back is higher than a normal breast cancer so I am now very much aware and attuned to the fact that yeah this baby could take me out and a lot of people out there before cancer I don't know if you were this way but you're thinking cancer affects other people I will never have cancer you're so far removed from it and so I think those poor people are are, are blind in a way to the awareness that they have cancer cells in them, right? And they're kind of being head and sand about it. And I'm also of the mind that until you're faced with something, you don't know. It's and then the flip side of that is you can't be the hypochondriac and no. say, do I have cancer today? Right. Do I have cancer today? Um, That's just worrying you yourself. You just have to deal with whatever. Just, deal you with know, life as it comes up. Yeah, but all you've got is today. So you just live today to the best that you can, yeah. if you're if you're so inclined. So I went and saw my financial advisor today. Yeah. And she was talking about, you know, uh, we need more money in your RSPs, and you know, I want to see your uh, portfolio larger. And and I looked at her and I said, I may not be alive in five years, <laughs> and I do intend to take a trip every year. That's just the way things are rolling with me now. You know, it's so true. So tell me about how your family dealt with this. Yeah, so my family, I am divorced and have been for oh, a long time. So my family consists of my two daughters. So when I was diagnosed, they were, you know, early 20s. I think that's the biggest fear as a mom is I wasn't thinking so much about myself. My mm. first thought was... My girls, or, or what are my girls going to do? What are my kids going to do without me? You know, I'm not going to see them grow up or have babies of their own and such like that. But they, bless their little souls, they were so strong. It was, it was the most, I'm going to tear up now thinking about it because that phone call, because they don't live in town, so I had to tell them over the phone. And, um, you know, just saying those words, I have cancer, tore me up so bad. Mm-hmm. And, um, but they, little troopers, I mean, there was that shock, of course. I know their first thoughts, whenever you hear someone who says, I have cancer, for some reason, our heads go, oh, so how long do you have? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. And so I really wanted to reassure my daughters that I'm not treating this as it's going to take me out, but I'm not sure about that either. But I need to be strong for you and be brave. But I'm also being very weak, feeling very weak and vulnerable right now. So it's this real bouncing back and forth. Yeah. They, um, they rallied around. And I think it was at Thanksgiving or something. They, we all sat around and they, they just both took my hand. And they they were the ones who said, whatever happens, Mom, we will deal with it. They were the ones who said, if you die, Mom, we will deal with it. We will be okay. Wow. Yeah. And that's what I said, wow. Yeah. That was so brave of them. Yes. So immediately my fear alleviated. And I think it advice to anyone who hears of a loved one 
say those words, I have cancer, the best thing you can say to them is, don't worry, we will deal with that. Right. We are in this together. Yeah. Um, that immediately takes a pressure off the person who has with, cancer. Yes. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does, because because sometimes I had to be strong for other people. I know, and you're thinking, why should I be strong for you? I'm the one who has cancer. When you're the one with it, yeah. it seems like you're carrying the load for other people, and it's it's something you you just know that you've got to get through. And not everybody else knows. Not everybody knows how to deal with this. No, and, you, right. and some people fall out of your life because of it. Yes, they do. Right. Yeah, they do. And some people don't want to have to deal with it. I mean, I I have a family member mm-hmm. when my dad was sick. I mean, death was just not something he could handle. Right. Now, for me personally, I think he missed a beautiful opportunity to be with my dad mm-hmm. going through his death. Yeah. Well, so I just found it not a horrifying experience. Yeah. I found it quite a peaceful and loving experience to be there around them. Yeah. But that's not what we think about when we think about death. And cancer, of mm-hmm. course, like you said earlier, cancer is a death sentence. The minute you somebody says that you have cancer, you just think... Tick-tock. Tick-tock. <laughs> you talk about um, the family or people who can't deal with it as well, and I, and I think... I, spoken with you about this before but uh, my sister she couldn't deal with it people do crazy things when there's fear when they feel fear so I, I attribute that to her feeling an incredible amount of fear and helplessness mm-hmm. you yeah. can't do anything you can't do it no and, and, I, and I'm afraid th- that if I say something I will say the wrong thing so I'm just not going to say anything and that hurts the person who has cancer. Like, yes. Why don't you even like phone me? Well, it's because people don't know what to say, and then there's the people who who want to who think they're saying something really good, and, and it's just not. Good. And it's just not good. <laughs> what are some of the not good things that you heard? Now, being somebody that's always looking to learn and to grow, my friends know me as that. Right. So whenever some tragedy or something would happen to us, it's you know there's going to be great gifts for you in this, and it's like. So that was what was said to me. And honest to God, there have been really great gifts in a tragic situation. But when you're in the thick of it, like when you're, there's no gifts. And even the, the, the the concept of that, I had to calm myself right down and she was loving and meant well. So, you know, I, I, I only tell this story because she meant really well, but there is, there is a website of what not to say yes. to cancer patients. So what are yours? The thing that I really don't particularly like is, well, two things. One was, well, have a positive attitude. Make sure you maintain your positive attitude because that yeah. will get you through it. And I think there's coming to understanding with positive attitude. Yes, it's really important to have a positive attitude, but it's also really important to have a realistic attitude. The reality of this is that this may kill me. The positive side of this is, it's not killing me today. I have today. There is a grieving process that you go through when uh-huh. you when any anything like this happens, sure. right? And you aren't comfortable going through that process because in grieving there's anger yeah. and there's tears and there's helplessness and hopelessness in the person who's going through it. Yeah. And it is uncomfortable as hell. Yeah. To watch somebody go through that. Mm-hmm. And I think the biggest gift is to just be there for them. Yeah. You know, sometimes yeah. words are not, sometimes words mm-hmm. aren't necessary, just your yes. presence is. Yeah. And, and I, I totally agree with you because one thing I did learn, talk about this being a learning experience, is that everybody 
as humans, we inherently know what's best for us. So when, and it gets that, that whole idea of, oh, talk to my friend who has breast cancer or had breast cancer. She'll tell you what you need to do and what you need to know. It's like, well, that may not apply for you. I think everyone inherently knows what works for themselves to get through any experience. And just move forward. And, you move, yeah. and I, I allowed myself to, to go through the grieving and allowed right. myself to get angry at people. Yes. You know, that was something... I wouldn't allow myself to do. Because what would people think of you? Of course. And there was some healing in that. Right. Okay. To say, not now. Like, maybe (laughs) talk to me six months from now, but not now. Because this is just, I'm in the thick of it. I can't see the forest for the trees Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right now. And I wouldn't have even had the courage to say that before. Yeah, someone, I was talking to someone who... uh who said about the anger, because I think a lot of people are going through this, there is some anger. A lot of it. And someone had said that they thought they were caring for their spouse, and they said, he is really angry, like a side of him I've never seen before. And I think it's the chemo drugs. I've heard that chemo drugs can alter your mindset, and you you can actually, they make you angry. And I said, no, it's not the chemo drugs. It's the cancer it's the helplessness. It's the fear. It's the facing your more your it's own mortality. mortality. Yeah. It's it's having to ask people for help. It's not being able to bounce out of bed. It's not being able to go grocery shopping. There's so many things yeah. that cause the anger. Yeah. It is not the chemo drugs. Anyways, this is it. We've had a great time. This has been a great conversation. It has been. Thanks for coming and helping me out with this. Yeah. Thanks and for making me think of many things and very helpful. Good. Yeah.